Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Let's read responsibly. Lord, we come before you confessing that you are the Mighty One. God, the Lord, who has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. You will call to the heavens from above and to the earth that you may judge your people. Let the peoples, I'm sorry, let the heavens declare your righteousness, for God himself is judge. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him orders his conduct right. I will show the salvation of God. From these select verses of Psalm 50, we see a call and a response of God summoning his creation, and the heavens respond, declaring him as all-righteous. Then those who simply offer thanksgiving as their sacrifice and order their lives accordingly are freed from the penalty of their sins and are shown salvation. In between the lines of this responsive reading, God comes and greets his people. And God's people hear that they have not failed in any of the outward requirements, but he does not want their sacrificial animals. He already has plenty of wild and domestic beasts that are all his own. In fact, he already owns all the wild fowl and the beast of the field. However, God's people are called to offer their thanksgivings to God. This is true worship. The last uh, response we read there is actually Psalm 50, verse 23. It says that the person who praises God and orders his life rightly, this person will see the salvation of God. This is a fitting bridge in our calendars from our American celebration of Thanksgiving and ordering our lives rightly to the very weeks of Advent, which we're now in. As we offer our Thanksgiving to God, he offers us salvation through the very embodiment of God coming to earth to become a substitutional sacrifice for our sins. This leads us and reminds us of our need to confess our sins. I invite you to please kneel where, you're, where you are if you're willing and able. to worship you and to renew covenant with you. We come now to the portion of your worship service where you nourish us and wash us with your word. We thank you, God, that you are always faithful and true. And we trust that although things are different this morning, although our original plans have changed and Pastor Dwinkle could not be here this morning, we trust that you will bless this time. Please speak to us this morning. Grant us wisdom and insight and understanding Fill our hearts and our minds with a greater love for you, a greater sense of awe and praise for you. Let your word accomplish in us what you have promised that it would, to bear the fruit of holiness in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The story of Jonah is probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. 
It is up there with stories uh, such as David and Goliath, Daniel in the lion's den, Jesus walking on the water. These are stories that most people, even those who are on church, are familiar with. It is included in just about every illustrated children's Bible and is rarely missed as a topic for a Sunday school lesson. But this is understandable considering how exciting and extraordinary the story of Jonah is. Jonah lives inside the belly of a huge fish for three days. Now I know that there are some of you in this room who enjoy fishing, but I'm not sure how many of you have actually gutted a fish. When I was a kid, I spent most of my summers up north on Torch Lake with my grandparents and we fished a ton. Believe it or not, we grandkids enjoyed watching our grandfather gut the fish, and we would often ask him to cut the stomachs open so we could see what was inside. Now those of you who have gutted a fish, or any animal for that matter, know that this is a bad idea. We would find partially digested crayfish, bones of minnows, and even the parts of the worms that we used to catch the fish. It was fascinating for us as kids, but at the same time disgusting. The odor was horrible. Now imagine living inside the stomach of a fish for three days. It's unimaginable, but that's what Jonah did, and for him it was salvation from death. This is the part of the story, being swallowed by a fish, that is of course the highlight for many people. But what should stand out for us as a highlight is the incredible mercy and patience of God that is displayed throughout the story. We should come away from the book of Jonah with a greater assurance that our God is merciful and patient, even in the face of rebellion and wickedness. Rebellion on the part of his servant Jonah, and wickedness on the part of the Ninevites. But this mercy and patience is not a glossing over of sin, and it's not a turning of a blind eye to it. The story of Jonah also teaches us that there are significant consequences for our sin. God is just and holy, and he will judge. His threat of destruction for Nineveh was very real, not just a threat. And Jonah was taken to the brink of death for his rebellion. But even in the midst of judgment, there is mercy. In the midst of death, there is salvation. And in the midst of man's wickedness, God works good for his people. Jonah, his own prophet, disobeys, and yet through it, God works repentance in the hearts of a bunch of pagan sailors and of an entire Assyrian city. The story of Jonah could be summed up as an affirmation of God's unstoppable purposes and sovereign mercy. Now for some historical context. Jonah was a contemporary of the prophets Joel, Amos, and Hosea, all of whom prophesied against the northern kingdom of Israel, against their wickedness. Jonah prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II, who was the 14th king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and one of many who were wicked. A brief account of this is found in 2 Kings 14, 23-27. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath, Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. 
And the Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. This is the only Old Testament passage outside of the book of Jonah in which Jonah is mentioned. And although this passage suggests that God sent Jonah to bring Israel encouragement, the book of Jonah focuses on his being sent to a non-Israelite city, the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Jonah was to give them a message of God, warning them of his coming judgment for their wickedness. But Jonah objected to this. He knew that a warning from God meant mercy from God for a pagan city that in his mind should not receive it. They were not Israel. They were not God's people, and so Jonah refused to be their prophet. Let's read the first chapter, and since I'll be reading the entire book this morning, it might be helpful if you have your Bibles to follow along. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now let's stop here for a moment and remember some words of David. Words that would have also been familiar to Jonah. They're in Psalm 139, verse 7 through 9. I'll read that. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Now it may be easy for us, especially in light of this psalm, to judge Jonah as silly for thinking he could run away from God's presence. Yet how often do we behave in the same manner? We may not run in such a way as to achieve geographic distance from God, but we have all at some point in the past or even now turned away from the things God has called us to do. Or, in response to his hard providences in our lives, we become angry and let our hearts run from him, turning away from his word, from prayer, and from fellowship with his body. For me personally, this was in college. I had left my parents' home. I had a great amount of independence, more than I ever had. And I knew what God wanted of me. He wanted my life. He wanted my personal devotion, my loyalty. But I objected to that. I didn't want to give him that. And I ran from him very far, as far as I could, all while staying in one town in Ann Arbor. But, thanks be to God, he does not let us run far from him forever. He goes after us. He went after me, as he did Jonah. So I'll pick up at verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. 
Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here in chapter 1 is the first example in the book of Jonah of how God uses the actions of pagan Gentiles as judgment against his people. The example is not how the sailors were the ones who physically carried out God's judgment in, in his plan to throw Jonah overboard, but rather it is in their prayer. Notice how they conclude. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Again, let's hear the words of the Old Testament, words that Jonah would have known well. Exodus 33:19. This is God speaking to Moses. I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all deep places. These sailors were not Jews. They knew very little of the true God and most likely had never heard the passages that were just read. And yet, they immediately recognized the very thing that Jonah, God's prophet, had refused to accept. That God, as sovereign creator and ruler, does as he pleases. If it pleases him to have mercy on a pagan city, such as Nineveh, then he will do it, and his plans cannot be thwarted. The prayer and belief of the sailors was a testimony against Jonah, just as the repentance of Nineveh was a testimony against the nation of Israel. We'll look into that a bit more at the end. But let's move on to chapter 2, which is the prayer of Jonah. Now as you listen or read along, consider what I stated earlier, that Jonah knew the Old Testament, and in particular the Psalms. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bar closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Here is evidence that Jonah knew Old Testament scripture. He praised the words of the Psalms right back to God. If someone 
had read just the prayer to me and asked me to guess who the author was, I probably would have guessed David. Jonah knew God's word, and because he knew God's word, he knew that in that moment of despair, the only thing he could do was cry out to God, just as King David had done so many times before. Let's move on to chapter 3, and I'll be reading to the end of the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to, to it the message that I tell you. So God does not let Jonah off the hook, but this time Jonah is ready to obey. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, robe covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn or relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said I was when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. I think he was still hoping that God would destroy them. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it cover, come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm. And so it damaged the plant, that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant, for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons, who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock. So as I said previously, outside of the short passage we read from Second Kings, the book of Jonah is all we hear of him in the Old Testament. However, he is mentioned again by Jesus in the New Testament, not as an example of foolish disobedience or heartfelt repentance, but as a testimony against the Jewish nation. 
Listen to Matthew 12, verses 38 to 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want a sign from you. But he, Jesus, answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment, in the judgment, with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Also in Luke 11, 29 through 30 and 32. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, Excuse me, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Many prophets, including Jonah, had come to Israel over the years, warning them of God's judgment and calling them to repent. And yet they refused. Jonah brings the same message one time to Nineveh, and the entire city repents in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus was Israel's last and greatest prophet. Jesus was the Gentiles' last and greater Jonah. His message was the same simple message. Repent and believe. The sign affirming his power and authority was his death and resurrection. This was foolishness back then to the Jews and the Gentiles, and it remains foolishness to the unbelieving world. But to us who believe, it is our salvation, just as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God does whatever he pleases. Jonah learned this lesson the hard way, and it angered him. He was exceedingly displeased that God would have mercy on a pagan nation. We, however, living on the A.D. side of history, should rejoice that it pleased God to have mercy on us Gentiles, that it pleased him to crucify his son, not just for the Jews, but also for us, who once were not a people, but now are the, are the people of God, who had not once had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, for reminding us this morning that you are sovereign ruler of all, and you do as you please. But you are also good, and you do good. You are abundantly merciful, patient, and kind, and a result, as a result, you have saved us from death and destruction. You have sent forth your word into our hearts. That word is your Son, Jesus Christ, and in him and through him we have been made your people. We belong to you. As your people, help us to trust you, to trust that in all the events and happenings of our lives you are at work, 
and your purposes for us are good. Keep us from turning away from you, especially in the midst of hard times. And if we do, pursue us, Lord, just as you pursued Jonah. Thank you that nothing can separate us from your love, not even our own foolishness. And now we conclude as you taught us to pray. before us a table and this is not an altar and the distinction is not just a slight one we have gathered to offer a sacrifice but it's a sacrifice of our thanksgivings not a sacrifice of propitiation propitiation being a payment for a sin so it's not an altar that we have to do for payment of sin the propitiation is accomplished on an altar that's true and in God's purposes, that altar was the altar of the cross, foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament by the altars upon which sacrificial animals had been slain. A different kind of sacrifice is offered up from tables. From tables there are sacrifices of praise and of thanksgiving. Offering up a true thanksgiving is not even a possibility unless the propitiation has already been accomplished elsewhere and applied to us. Having been, having been set free by the once for all sacrifice of Christ on the cross, we here are invited to sit down at the table and offer up a liberated sacrifice of gratitude and harmony together. There is spiritual sacrifice that is the consequence of all that has gone before. Psalm 50, 23, which was from our call of confession, spoke of the sacrifice of thanksgiving. It said, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I shall show the salvation of God. We are privileged to live in a day when we, without qualm, may offer thanksgivings as our sacrifice. A sacrifice of true propitiation, by definition, can only happen once, and it did happen outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on that cross. This means that there has been a definite sacrifice, and by such it gives us a true, sure foundation for a continual sacrifice of another kind. Hebrews 15, I'm sorry, Hebrews 13, 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So I invite you to come to the table of Christ where we all are invited if we've been baptized and we're living under the authority of Christ, his body, which is the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine together, we are acknowledging that we are sinners without hope, except for that propitiation and that sovereign mercy of God, that we're trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. Come to the table that Christ has set for us. God's body, broken for us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.